are listening to Total Reboot, the only podcast on the internet that discusses movies, cinema, and in particular, during this stretch of episodes, we are discussing the high tension of heist movies. My name is Alexi Toliopoulos, and the geezer sitting opposite me today on the podcast is none other than Cameron James. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm sitting here in my yellow Speedos. I'm burnt to a goddamn crisp. (laughs) I'm holding an ice pack over my scrotum and penis. Mm-hmm. And there is a small Spanish lad nearby just sweeping up leaves. Oh, Enrique the pool boy. <laughs> of course you've taken him under your wing. Of course. He's my men- mentee. I'm his mentor in and a way. when I see a fella sitting luxuriously in the hot Ibethan sun, mm. I'm obviously thinking one thing in my mind. What's that? This Fat English gangster is a sexy beast, baby. <laughs> well, that brings to mind a very important question. Who is the titular sexy beast in the film that we're discussing today, Sexy Beast? Wow. Okay. This is a question I've never really considered because to <laughs> me, there is an obvious answer. Okay. This is a movie that I've adored my whole life, Cam, Sexy Beast. I've seen it a few times. Almost every single time with my mother. My mother loves mm-hmm. this movie. She showed yep. it to me. I rewatched it this week with my mother. And it's safe for me to say that we both consider Ray Winston to be the sexy beast. <laughs> I, think, I think my mom even showed me this movie because she thinks Ray Winston's hot. <laughs> he is pretty hot. Yeah, he, he's he undeniably. He is, he's so charismatic. So, he's mm-hmm. the sexy beast. I guess Don Logan... Um, is not particularly sexy. <laughs> no, no, no. Don Logan's not sexy, but Gal, my God. Gal, Gal is, is something Or maybe about him. Gal is sexy and Don is the beast. Have we considered oh, that? Shit. Maybe the title should have been Sexy Slash Beast. Slash Beast. Yeah. That's freaking awesome. Man, that's crazy that you've, you've seen this movie multiple... When did you first see this movie? You've been watching it since you were a kid with your horny mum? Yeah. What the hell? With a, as I was a bub. On release, <laughs> mum took me to the cinema. No, I would have seen it like early DVD days. Okay. And um, my mum just like is a bit of an Anglophile. And she loves like, you know, everything English. She, my mum loves it equally from like mm. crappy... And crappy and good period pieces, mm-hmm. to like Jane Austen type stuff, all the way to like East Enders, Coronation Street, and then any English gangster film, my mom fucking flips for. <laughs> That's interesting. I um I get it. I grew up in a household with a lot of Monty Python love, a lot of British gangster movie love. Um and the Bill. We watched the Bill oh, all the God. goddamn time. You're nicked, mate. That kind of shit. <laughs> oh, come on, Reg. <laughs> but this movie had somehow eluded me. Um, you know, I, I'd obviously been aware of it since it came out in the year 2000. And people have been saying for such a long time, have you watched Sexy Beast yet? You'll love Sexy Beast. You and you're of all going, people no, would love Sexy Beast. I am Beast. Sexy Beast. Yeah. I've watched it every day in the mirror when I wash, brush my yeah. teeth. And I'm like, oh, you're a Sexy Beast, love. Yeah, I know. That's how I felt. I just, I don't know what it was about the movie that kept me away. I have a feeling, I have a, a feeling that it was because I thought it was going to be much more serious movie. I think when mm. you see Ben Kingsley on a poster... Yes. Or on a DVD cover, um, especially at that time, maybe less so now, you kind of think, oh, okay, I'm going to get some like heavy drama, some Oscar bait. I'm getting freaking mm-hmm. Gandhi over here. Gandhi's yes. sexy. Is that what this is? This is about sexy <laughs> is this Gandhi. Gandhi's sexy? Is this about Gandhi sexy Gandhi? What the hell? I don't want to watch that. No, not for me. Too interesting so i i avoided it but my dad in particular would always bring it up and go i can't believe you haven't watched sexy beast it's like it's amazing you'll love it and then last year i was making my way through a bunch of crime flicks that i had uh avoided most of my life Mm -hmm. and i landed on sexy beast and it was an instant fave 
I only watched really? it last year for the first time, and I've watched it four times in the last 12 months. Jesus. I mean, Dad was right, because it to me, is he's going, like, I can't believe you've not seen Sexy Beast, because in my head, I'm like, oh, that would be one of Cam's top 10 favourite movies. It seems so made for him. It is. Now. <laughs> it took two decades for me to finally come around to watching it, and then eventually I was like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, this is the movie I've been looking for. Almost yeah. my entire life. It has every element that I enjoy in a goddamn flick. This was one that I put on our long list of movies, uh, heist films that we were going to cover on this. And it was one I wasn't, sh- I didn't really think would make the final cut. But when you put it on your short list, the ones that you wanted to put through, it really resonated with me because it is such an interesting remix almost of Mm. what we consider to be heist movies where you know when we think of heist movies the first things that we think of it's the plan for the heist and the heist itself Mm -hmm. but then there's so many other tropes that are key to those movies you know whether it be like you know the person coming out of prison at the start and trying to go straight they're a jailbird but they only know the life of crime but one of the key things that we always talk about when we talk about heist movies and crime movies very often as well is that idea of one last job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Someone coming out of retirement to do one last job. And this is such an interesting film that goes, that is the trope we're focusing on. And we are completely deconstructing the heist film from the perspective of one last job. Yeah, it's it's almost like... um. 50 minutes of this 90-minute movie is a guy being convinced to come back for one last job. And then there's like 10 minutes of the job maximum. And then there's 20 minutes of, oh, God, I can't believe I did that job. Oh, my God, I'm going to get in trouble. The guy's going to yell at me. They're going to find out that I did something bad. I'm going to get killed. It's like this bizarre existential... It kind of has always reminded me of um, uh, those like those existential plays that we had to study in high school, like mm, waiting like for a Beckett, Godot, Beckett, kind of. yeah, like yeah. yeah, waiting for Godot or No Exit or something like that, where it's kind of almost about the limbo and the dread of of like the sins that you've done in your life and kind of Mm. reckoning with them or dealing with them or trying to run from them. Yeah, that's such an interesting point. I think I'd never considered Beckett of all of this before, but it is so freaking Samuel Beckett, this movie, but just evolve beyond like the trappings of a minimal stage play Mm. to being something that fuses cinematic gangster tropes and heist tropes with like really interesting dreamy surrealism kind of playing throughout it rather than like stage surrealism totally and i feel like that surrealism is some is probably the reason why this movie lives on a bit i mean the performances Mm. particularly the award nominated performances in this film will Mm. have probably cemented its legacy but the surrealism for me is what keeps it a step above its contemporaries, you know. It's and what it, makes it quite distinct. Yes, and we'll, what will why I'll prefer to watch this over Layer Cake or something like that, you know. Mm, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, it's very interesting. It just holds itself apart from the other geezer flicks, like Layer Cake, the Bob Hoskins ones, like Long Good Friday and Mona Lisa, and then even like you know Italian Job and stuff. Mm. It just really, it really sets itself apart from all of those by just having some different kind of areas of focus. I mean, it's safe to say we both love this movie. Why don't we dive in to the cooling waters mm. of our chlorinated pool of? Sexy beast. What's the worst thing that can happen? What's the worst scenario? It's gonna come here. Ask me. I'm gonna say no. Do the job. No, Don. Yes. No. Yes. No. Yes. I can't. You can. I can't. Don't do this. Do what? What am I doing? This. This. This what? I know a bloke who knows a bloke who knows a bloke. Now you know this bloke. Do I? This is a bloke you know wants me to put a team together. Eight men. Strong. Good boys. Gotta be good boys. Look dumb. Look dumb? It's like this. Like what? I'd be useless. Useless? I would be. In what way? 
in every fucking way. Are you swearing? I'm not swearing. Sexy Beast from the year of our Lord and Saviour 2000. Now, Alexi, call me crazy, but I believe you may have found a logline that you love somewhere on the internet, and you're going to read it to me, and I guess I'm going to decide whether I rate it or hate it. Let's see. Let's see how that plays out. Well, Cameron, in this instance, while you do demand that I call you crazy, mm. I actually will call you sane Whoa. because that is something that I've actually done. Oh my god! <laughs> so it might, in fact, be me who is the crazy one in this situation. Wow, crazy like a fox. Let's see what he's got, folks. <laughs> I've actually unearthed two log lines that I quite liked. One of them, I'm going to read you first. It's mm. one short sentence. I think it's awesome. I think it's beautiful. I think it belongs on a freaking DVD. Brutal gangster Don Logan recruits retired, in quotations, safecracker gal for one last job. But it goes badly for both of them. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I think that's real good. It's. I think that's a front of DVD blurb. Now, let's flip the disc over. Here's okay. the back of the DVD. So, hang on. Hang, is this on the back of the disc or on the back of the cover? Okay, this that one would be on the disc itself, I reckon. It's quite short. It's very it's rare like- that they put a logline on the disc. <laughs> I think it should be printed on the disc, this one. Okay. You open it up and you go, okay, so that's what it's about. Let me remember these two character names. Let me chuck it in. But on the back of the cover, this is what I would put there. This is from IMDB Great. user John Reeves. On your Johnny. You can, f- you can find him at jreeves at imdb.com. So he might be an administrator. Oh, wow. Well, if you're listening to this, John, we love the work you're doing over there. And we love everything that the database provides from trivia to goofs. To the now deleted forum section where you could, you know, really troll people in there. We miss the trolls. Yeah. We miss trolling the boards. <laughs> Here we go. Spain, full stop. Great. Gal has retired from the gangster life and he's sunning himself placidly beside the pool at his villa when a boulder comes crashing by, barely missing him. Soon, he and his pal H, together with their wives Dee Dee and Jackie, are being threatened by a human boulder, Don Logan. <laughs> Logan wants Gal for a high-stakes vault break-in in London, masterminded by the cool and suave Teddy Bass, and he will not take no for an answer. Nevertheless, that's exactly the answer Gal keeps giving him, even as Don gets more and more threatening. Meanwhile, Gal is plagued by dreams of a menacing, hairy beast. Just how far will Don and Gal go in this battle of wills? And what of Enrique, the pool boy? (laughs) (laughs) And what of? <laughs> That's and so what great. this character I've yet to mention in this blurb. <laughs> I um love I love human boulder. I think that's mm-hmm. the most on the nose <laughs> way to describe Don Logan. I mean, yes, this movie is rife with symbolism. It's like mm-hmm. in a way that I think if it was done if it was a slightly less accomplished filmmaker. Um, I, it would annoy me how much symbolism is in this movie, but because it's masterfully done, masterfully acted and shot looks amazing. I love it. I love that the fact that this boulder at the beginning, this incredibly surreal image is of course a metaphor for the impending doom of Don Logan coming. I love that the flames in his barbecue even try to attack him when he's cooking sausages for H I love all of that shit. It's like the world is telling him, the universe is telling him, you're in trouble. Watch out. There's some. Tr- there's something coming. Um, and I also love that the symbol of the boulder is then literalized in the end of the movie by tying up all the um, all the loose ends. No spoilers. I just. I just think it's fucking sensational. Good lord, Cameron is attracted to the sexy beast. It would appear. Yes, I'm attracted to the human boulder. And I, this is something I'm really interested in now because I didn't know you had not seen this movie before, but mm. now I also am putting this together. 
Jonathan Glazer is the director of this film. He is now known as quite like a beloved filmmaker, despite having a very short resume when mm. it comes to feature films. Sexy Beast is his debut. Then in 2004, a few years later, he made Birth with mm-hmm. Nicole Kidman. It's a little less known than his other films, but I think it is just as good. It's a fascinating movie about like reincarnation and like kind of creepy, interesting, sensual very, very odd, strange movie, but maybe the best Nicole Kidman performance ever, in my opinion. And then in 2013, he makes kind of like a new iconic classic in the science fiction genre, which is Under the Skin, starring Scarlett mm. Johansson as a freaking sexy beastie alien <laughs> that pops down to Earth to muck some <coughs> shit up. Yep. I know that you've not seen either of those movies, right? I've you've- seen both. You've seen Birth. I saw wow. Birth. Uh, I heard you saw your own Birth recently on a tape. <laughs> yeah, I put on I put on the video of Birth, and then halfway through it cut out. It cut straight to my Birth. I said, "Mum, did you tape over Birth with my Birth? How did you even do that? Yeah, do your little Topher Gray style cut at home to make it even more complicated movie." I saw Birth before I saw Sexy Beast. Um, I think it was one of those first. Um, like weird sensual psychological f- films that I was attracted to on premise alone because it seemed so naughty. Like mm. it's, there's something incredibly naughty about that fucking movie. Yes. Like, she believes her dead husband has been reincarnated as a local 10-year-old boy in her neighborhood. A, that, that weird boy who's in like X-Men 3 and like all these other <laughs> yeah. movies at that time where he's like, yes, I have some kind of strange power about me. I'm odd and charismatic in a strange cult leader way. And mm. she's uh, grappling with, yeah, that sort of feeling of like, this is her lover and she's potentially in love with this 10-year-old. I remember just being like, whoa, what the fuck? This is crazy. Mm. I have to watch this. This looks insane. Um, and I love it, but I've still never seen Under the Skin. But I'll tell you what I have seen of um, Jonathan Glazer's, and that is most Ooh. of his music videos. Yeah, he was iconic for that, especially in like the video store days, my video store days. There was this collection of director's works. Yeah. Is it called the director's works collection? It's called the uh, director. I have three of them. I can't remember what they're called. The director's. Oh, camps. They are some of the most precious and Bureau? treasured Something. DVDs there are. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Is it the director's bureau or the director's group or something like that? But, um, you know, they'd be, it, they're box sets, essentially, of mm-hmm. now incredibly famous filmmakers such as Spike Jones, Michelle Gondry. Um, and Jonathan Glazer. Jonathan Those Glazer. Were the big three, I remember, at the video store. And there's a few other, there's a few other ones as well that are all pretty great. And it's just mm. collections of their music videos and their short films. And I... I had the Gondry one, the Jones one. I don't think I had the Glazer one, but I borrowed it from a friend, my friend Tom, mm. and watched it. Um, and I would, I watched them over and over again. I just leave those music videos on loop yeah. pretty much most of the day. They're so good. They're incredible. I, that was my go-to when I worked at the video store to put those on and just watch them all day. So I think I've seen them back to back probably like 300 times in my life and I could never tell you which one is which because I've seen them so often in like a three thing run Mm. of a six hour shift of just putting them all back to back. When you were studying film at uni and stuff like that, did you want to be a music video director? Um, you know, I think everyone does because it's like- It seems cool. So many cool directors of our era. Yeah. They're freaking cool. Oh, like that's Fincher. I forgot there's Fincher as well. And, Fincher, uh, of course. Is there Anton Corbin one? There's a Corbin one. That's right. Yeah. 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 Okay, I, I was obsessed with Corbin at that yeah, time. Yeah, we freaking love Corbin, dudes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it does seem like a cool career choice when you're like 19, 20. Mm. Especially when you're into, like, hip music of that time True. or the cool music from the eras before, and these guys all covered that. But then th- there's a reason that there aren't many full-time music video directors because, yeah. I mean, the- it doesn't exist anymore, really. There's no music television. No, it's kind of like Joseph Kahn, and that's it, right, these yeah. days. There's, like, a few people, the Daniels, but now they make movies, I too. know. Everyone has graduated. Um, Nash Edgerton, our buddy occasionally will dabble in a music video again. Um, mm. But he's he basically says he'll only do it for just if he loves the song and the band. Yep. But 
he's like, there's no money in it. It's not a career anymore. But he kind of made his bones making music yeah. videos for a long time as well. The only, Literally, I think Joseph Kahn must be the only person who fully supports himself doing music videos and commercials like that because he funds his own movies when he makes something like Detention or whatever mm. um, where from his music video career because he does Taylor Swift and all the like big names. So, he just must make fucking Buko, Buko Dolores doing that <laughs> shit. But that was a golden era and Jonathan Glazer was a big part of it. He made a lot of the iconic Radiohead clips, mm-hmm. um, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, Massive Attack, that kind of like... Jamiroquai, a lot of British stuff oh, that God. was kind of like cool and current, you know, edge yeah. edge of the cool at the time. Absolutely. And he's become like such a cool director. I think he makes very thoughtful, interesting deconstructions of like genre or tone. And it's it's interesting to me that he has not made another big project since this. I don't mm. know really what he's up to these days. Oh, you mean since uh, Under the Skin? S- since Under the Skin, yeah, I don't really yeah. know what he's up to these days. Yeah. No, I'm sure, like, every artist, he has, like, six things that he's been working on that are in various stages of development or whatever, and one of them will eventually come through. I kind of like the fact that he hasn't been become one of those filmmakers that's made a new movie every two years, you know, because that can burn someone out. But he's, like, stayed true to truly being an artist, I would say. Um and, like, every film he makes as if it's his last film, including the one that we're talking about today. I feel like this movie is so stuffed with ideas and with aesthetic that it could it could honestly, like I, like I said before, it could be overwhelming or shit if he was any less talented because there's a lot going on in this movie, like aesthetic choices and themes and um, symbolism and whatnot. But I feel like he did that because there must have been a part of him that thought, this might be my only movie, so I'm going to put everything I want into it. I'm going to put a big fucking rabbit (laughs) alongside some Cockney gangsters (laughs) in Spain where the camera never stops moving. And it's so interesting because this movie's coming out when we have that kind of new wave of Brit gangster films, of geezer films headed by Guy Ritchie and stuff like that. And they feature people like Ray Winston in them. Mm. And I think what he does is so clever and why we don't feel overwhelmed by like the deluge of like surrealism and interesting choice, like just interesting choices. This movie's mm. interesting at all points is because it is grounded in the genre of heist movies, of Brit gangster films, of geezer films, and it's grounded by two very, very strong performances that play to the archetypes of those genres. We've Mm. got Gal, played by Ray Winston, who is a retired criminal, and we understand the imagery of that so well, or like someone who was somehow able to get out and has, you know, the the life of crime is such an interesting cycle as it plays through cinema mm. where you can't break out of it. Mm. And this is someone that has, for a certain period of time, has successfully broken out of it and is enjoying his retirement. And the way that r- having Ray Winston play this character, who is just, for me, one of my very, very favorite actors that we usually see in supporting roles, but when he's given something like meaty like this... It plays so well into, like, his essence. He's got this Mm. powerful essence, this magnetic presence that is built for geezer films like nobody else. There's something about him that brings, like, this full theatrical gravitas to these rough blokes. And then this grandeur while never really breaking from that, like, bloody East Ender vibe. Yeah, it's, um, I think what he brings and why he's perfect for the role of Gal is there is a real fucking like sensitivity at the core of Mm. the guy um i think i read that he was offered his choice of the roles of either gal or don um when jonathan glazer approached him he said do you want to play one of these two leads and i think jonathan was pushing more towards you should play don um and i think he would have nailed it because he's very Mm -hmm. menacing dude but i also think it's such a more interesting choice and proof of like the artistry of the guy that he looked at Gal, who's essentially a romantic 
lead character. Like he's pining for his, he's in love with his wife so much. And the mm. reason that he does what he does is because he wants to, he wants to be with his wife. And then when he has her honor um, offended, he mm. has to do the job, you know, in order to like, you know, get out one last time for her sort of thing. Um, I think I think it's incredibly sweet. Like he has like a real uh, emotion in his eyes that you rarely get to see when he just plays tough guys. Absolutely. Like it's so about like the the hidden, broken down tenderness behind him. And it's I think of this movie really as you know we're talking about it is this is all about that one last job trope. Mm. And I feel like this is channeling the one last job, the idea of retirement mm. as caging a beast. And with him being like caged up he's gone to retirement he's wanted to like he's wanted to disappear he's wanted to access his tenderness he's wanted to access his softness and he's been living in this softness for most of the time that he's in Ibiza or wherever they are in Spain mm. and then we've got Don Logan coming in Ben Kingsley who riles up this beast to no end until the cage is just freaking destroyed. And he's just back <laughs> to fully being, like, the softness is kind of slipping away. It's the anger, it's the anxiety, it's the tension of going back to his former life that takes over. I can't really imagine him playing Don. I mean, I can, but I think mm. it's a different movie in that way. Because if, you know, if Ray Winston is playing Don, it's just... Uh, a menacing tough guy yep. who moves into his friend's house for a couple of days and kind of harangues him into doing a job. But yep. I think the fact that Ben Kingsley is maybe not known for playing tough guys at this point and he's not a big guy, but he brings with him a certain intensity and a certain almost robotic or alien-like... Uh, mannerism that it makes the character even scarier because you kind of like is this guy even human what is this guy he doesn't speak the language of anyone else in this movie he, he looks like he's not listening to anybody at any point <laughs> that's it he's not he's totally never listens to it's anyone. really it's and that's really confronting to kind of go yeah. everyone's talking to him but he's not listening he's looking around mm. and like he, or he's staring straight through them. You know, he's not human. It, it's, it's, yeah. it's a really good choice to have uh, Ben Kingsley play this role. I mean, it's it changed his career, I would say. Like, it kind of made him made us view him differently, right? It's a mind-bender to have to, like... I can't even imagine existing in, like, 1999, 2000, hmm. seeing this movie, what it would be like. Because Ben Kingsley, he's a great actor... But you associate him with a completely different field of filmmaking, completely mm. different type of characterization. He's obviously best known for playing Gandhi. He wins an Oscar very early on in his career, defines his career a lot, that film. Mm. And then the other films we kind of know him for is stuff like Schindler's List. So, I think yeah. we associate him as at this time as this prestige actor yeah. who is- a master thespian in that kind of Lawrence Olivier type way. Definitely. He's probably like the image that people have of him <laughs> as being like a very ad adaptable yet also prestigious actor from England. Almost like an and Anthony Hopkins or whatever, like, you know. I mean, I'm talking pre-Silence of the Lambs, Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And like, but I guess this is his Silence of the Lambs mm. where it completely alters his perception of like what people think of him because i think probably more these days when people think about ben kingsley they are thinking about this role that he plays it completely changes yeah the way people think about him and he's kind of cast more to this type or you know more as like i feel like he always plays like psychiatrists and shit like that well i feel like people now trust him to do almost anything whereas mm. for the period before this the two decades or so before this movie um, he's mainly just getting, you know, very serious, sensitive roles. But, biopic um, yeah, kind biopics of Yeah, biopics and stuff. But now I feel like after this, because this movie, he brings uh, comedy of manners to it. He brings intense, like, gangster sort of violence to it. He also brings mm. horror to it. Mm. I think 
it kind of opens up the it, it shows his entire palette to the filmmaking world and now he's in he can play comedy characters in marvel movies for god's sake like he's he in- can be the <laughs> highlight of a whole marvel movie <laughs> it's like insane <laughs> to think that that wouldn't have happened without this movie now that he now he can just kind of do anything um and also, I'll say, one of the first times that I really engaged with this movie is in The Sopranos, in that episode where Christopher oh, yeah. <laughs> Christopher tries to woo Ben Kingsley to joining mm. his Cleaver movie. He's, he's horror gangster movie. Yeah. I forgot about that completely. <laughs> they go on like a press junket with Ben Kingsley or whatever, and, um, and Christopher keeps going, sexy beast, man. I love it. <laughs> Well, that's an incredible impression, by the way, Cameron. I'm I'm spellbound by it. <laughs> Kingsley's performance, I I really think, it is one of like the genre best of mm. gangster films ever, of heist films. I I really, it's just so fascinating because, like you said, he's this alien, yeah. And every choice that he makes is like fueled by hatred and i don't know if it's hatred of himself or if it's hatred of everyone else around him hatred of being trapped in this life or whatever or if he even considers those things but the thing that i really stood out to me this time were like his moments alone Mm. were so interesting Mm. and there's a moment alone where he's like pissing in the toilet and then he just turns to start pissing on the floor for a bit for no reason Mm. and then just starts pissing normally again Mm. and i was like what the fuck is wrong with this guy (laughs) even even when he's by himself he's taking something out on someone else and then there's this you know it's kind of the iconic shot in this movie now which is surprising because there's so many interesting framings which is just ben kingsley looking in the mirror talking to himself yeah and he's saying stuff like i won't let you be happy why should i and he's like is he talking to himself or is he like rehearsing his performance for when he's gonna freaking yell at gal and stuff yeah i think that's what's so great about it is that it's both because he does reuse that dialogue later when he's yelling at gal and it's kind of like, oh, okay, he has to practice <laughs> to be this menacing. That's insane. But also, yeah, he's saying it to himself. I feel like there's a reason why he is the way he is, and it's because he hates himself, and he hates the fact that he's um, he is this unlovable beast. You know, he's fucked people. He talks about fucking Jackie and uh, other girls that he's hooked up with and stuff like that, but no one loves him. No one, people are scared of him. People don't like him. They find him hard to be around. They literally dread his presence. Like the cosmos dreads his presence, you know. Um, And he wants to die, I think. Um, On this viewing today, I kind of thought he's really, he's like goading them into killing him. And it's, um, Mm. you know, obviously we're heading into spoiler territories here if you haven't seen it. But um, fuck it. It's a movie that came out in the year 2000. He, when he does die halfway through the movie or just after halfway through the movie, it's, um, I love the way that's handled, that it's kind of, mm. it's a brief moment in time. It's maybe like a minute long sequence, but it's revealed in like five second chunks that last over the next half hour. I think that's amazing the way they handle that movie, that, the way that part in the movie, sorry. And it had been a while since I'd seen it, and that totally surprised me again how it's mm. handled. And, like, it, it kind of left me questioning, because it is obvious that someone has done him in. Yeah. Like, it, when Gal relents and does the job, it feels so clear that the choice is motivated by he needs to be in retirement, and the only way he can do it is by doing this job. And you have that feeling of, like... He's fucking killed this guy. Yeah, yeah. Or someone in their group of friends has killed this guy. And he has to go and do this job to try and regain any kind of semblance of his life that he's enjoyed for the last X amount of years. And I I think with it playing out that way, where we fo- where we come back to it and we revealed in dribs and drabs what happens is so fascinating and so powerful and such an interesting deconstruction of, like, Mm. the motivations that we have so much in these gangster films and in these heist films. I think it is just, like, a perfectly structured movie Mm. because it is so imaginatively structured. Oh, yeah, totally. And if you consider as well, from that point, and that's there's maybe half an hour left in the movie at this point, that 
that half hour is the heist portion of this heist mm. movie. If it was just played straight and chronological, it would probably be, I mean, it looks cool, but it would probably be pretty by the numbers and mm. possibly a bit boring. But the fact that it's constantly broken up by essentially flashbacks revealing what happened to Don that night in Spain, um, it kind of keeps raising the stakes for Gal's safety, for Gal's mental health, mm-hmm. for the whole psychology of it. Like the whole time he's breaking through the fucking safe, you're constantly mm-hmm. thinking they're going to find out what what happened that night. There's no way they're not going to find out. And I think it's just so interesting to think of this as a mental health movie. It is. I really think it is. It's <laughs> <laughs> a movie about men's mental health and wellness. <laughs> Let's talk about the heist. That's what mm. we're here doing on this mini series. We're looking at the heist. We're looking at heist movies. And while this is like a total deconstruction of how that is laid up, the heist itself is very. It's like a classical take on a heist film, uh, in that I think it really does pay homage to one of the greats, the 1950s in France, Jules Dassin's uh, Rififi, which is iconic heist movie best known for having this long half-hour high sequence that is delivered silently, without music, without dialogue, just focused on the plan. And in that plan, there's a couple of elements that I play here in this. One of them is that in that film, they go into a, like a flat that is above the safe they're trying to crack in, and then they break down, hammering down as slowly as they can to break down without triggering an alarm in the safe. And they also do this thing that's really cool in heist movies, which is they take an everyday item and then they use it to in a new way, an exciting way, an imaginative way, which in that film, once they crack the first hole through all the way down, they push an umbrella through that hole, extend it, so when they're drilling down and breaking a bigger hole so catches they can fit all through the it, things. catches all the debris yeah, so it doesn't make right. noise, it doesn't make any kind of rupturing of the alarm. And in this film, we've got them breaking through a pool in a bathhouse into a safe from the rear end. Yeah, and I- yes. That is a euphemism. <laughs> That's a euphemism for something that... Anyway, but um, <laughs> yeah, I love the heist portion of this movie and I, I've seen it four times in the last year and it's always the portion that I focus on the least because there's so much mm-hmm. other shit going on in this movie that I need to keep track of, like the mental well-being of uh, Gal Dove... <laughs> <laughs> the relationship with Dirty Didi. But, um, yes, whether Ben Kingsley's character is sweetly asexual or something in this yeah, movie, even yes. though he's like motivated by being kind of in love with this guy's wife. Yeah, and obviously um, giant bunnies and stuff like that. But, you know, I'm, the last time I watched it before this, I, I finished the movie and I was kind of like, fuck, I think that might be my favourite heist sequence in any of these movies. I mean, maybe my opinion will change over the course of this miniseries, but the fact that it's underwater and it's in this tiny little... it's It starts in this gross little steam bathhouse and it's all these, like, chubby... British hard men in speedos. All these guys that look like they play darts professionally (laughs) trying to get through this case. In speedos with like scuba tanks on, underwater, drilling through a wall and rifling through like safety deposit boxes. I think it's some of the most interesting imagery I've ever seen in a heist movie. Like, mm, I, I just looked at it and went, fuck, that is, we forget. This is crazy. This is just all these yeah. little dudes in little Speedos. I love that. I love that Ray Witz, like, puts those earrings in his Speedo or whatever to get away. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. it's so cool. Yeah, I mean, it's just a really unique way of doing it. And uh, as you said, it's a riff on Rafifi. Um, that, a Rafifi on Rafifi. A Rafifi, Rafifi. A Rafifi riff. Uh, which is silent <laughs> for that entire high sequence. This is the same, but that's because it's underwater. But all you can hear is this kind of like heightened ADR of like the them scraping up diamonds and chucking it mm. in little bags and shit like that. It's it sounds fucking amazing. It's a really great sequence. 
Mm, it's a beautifully sound designed film. I think the way that like sound and music especially kind of create like this atmosphere where the music leads the film and evolves the film to kind of embrace the surrealism at play. Mm. And I think that's so interesting to have like the sound be the way into surrealism, into visual surrealism to be led by the sound. I think it's something that's kind of uniquely cinematic in its beauty that Jonathan Glazer accesses that I feel is kind of very unique to him. Well, yeah, I mean, the guy knows music. I mean, I guess it's no surprise really that this guy who spent 15 years making some of the more inventive and artistic music videos um, of the 90s knows how to use music in a movie. And it's a, like you said, it's a really great, at the beginning of this, you called it like a remix of a heist movie. And it really does feel like a remix or like a DJ set because the score is done by um, that electronic group Uncle, but then there's also old like Rat Pack music coming in and out and orchestral music coming in and out throughout it. But the whole thing is being like grounded by that propulsive heisty um, Uncle score. And it, yeah. it feels like you're watching... It feels like you're watching a remix or like a DJ set or something. It's insane. It's a really really odd combination of sounds going on in this movie. It really is. One thing before we get into like our categories that I would be remiss not to mention because it's what sits with me most about that this movie is just that opening sequence. I think it is maybe fucking hell, brother, my favorite opening sequence to any movie ever where we just hmm. have sound and vision luxuriously playing with each other when we've got Ray Winston laying back, soaking up the sun. We've got the Peaches song. What's mm, it? The Stranglers. It Pe- uh, it's Peaches by the Stranglers. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It's a great, uh, great, ugly little song. <laughs> it's. I love that song from, I guess, just from this movie. I listen to it quite often because of like just how luxurious it feels. Like It feels like this movie's draped in like golden sun-baking golden oil. Golden brown. To quote the Stranglers. Absolutely. Uh. Another Stranglers. Uh, but just the way that, like, we've got this slow opening and you just kind of get this full sense of who Ray Winston's character is. He is this big, fat, pink expat <laughs> living somewhere else where he doesn't necessarily belong and just getting fucking cooked and baked like a little rasher of bacon. It's so great. Also, his mo- you know, his monologue, it, like, starts as um, VO, but then it becomes insane sort of dialogue Mm -hmm. i love that it's something i didn't really notice it sort of starts in his head and then halfway through it he starts saying the words as well and it's just bullshit like it's just him going fucking hell i'm hot yeah fucking hell god you could fry an egg on my stomach (laughs) you could put a full fry up and cook it on my asshole (laughs) fucking (laughs) bloody oath i'm bloody good ain't i you could make a full toe in a hole on my fucking head right now. That's how hot I am. <laughs> yeah, I love the opening sequence. The music, the I mean, the image of him just sunbaking, bright red. It's such a classic British image, right? Like the like mm. the chubby Brit who goes to Spain and gets sunburnt. But, like, I mean, it makes it cool. <laughs> it turns permanently pink. Yeah. Like, that's what happens to these retirees. It makes it somehow look cool <laughs> and, like, something you should aspire to. Like, mm. uh, actually, I, cr- I was laughing so much on this viewing. I kind of forgot how funny this movie is. Like, all the Britishisms. The bit that really killed me is just after the boulder sequence at the beginning, the bit that you're talking about, mm-hmm. when his friends come over for dinner and he's cooking up, he's cooking up sausages for them or whatever. And um, his mate H is like, um, so when are they taking the boulder out of the pool? And Ray Winston's like, well, they're taking the boulder out on Tuesday. And then on Saturday, they're redoing the tiles. I'm like, fuck, they're just British people having a fucking shout about handymen that are coming around. But Mm -hmm. the twist is, I guess, that they're just ex-criminals living in Spain now. I fucking, man, I love this movie so much. I I don't know if there's a a movie that has tapped into more of what I want in a film. It's got the comedy Mm. element, the psychological horror, the crime, 
It's uh, got great charismatic performances. I'd put this up there with like when the Coens do crime, you know, like mm. it's it has all those elements that I enjoy. I really can't believe that I didn't watch this for two decades. <laughs> Me neither. I truly can't <laughs> believe you've only just watched it recently for the first time. It is such a cam movie. Yes, I fucking loved it. And if you've never seen Sexy Beast, let this be the freaking thing that, impulses you to do so it is a beautiful beautiful gangster crime movie like no other completely unique deviously exciting i too love sexy beast why don't we give away a couple of awards yeah. to some things that we think are extremely worthy shall we begin with our character actor award ceremony yes of course the character actors who seldom get to hold a gold statue for their entire careers we celebrate them on this podcast. This film is overrun with character actors, if we can be honest with you. There's only one, like, I mean, you wouldn't call Ben Kingsley a movie star, but he's the closest mm. to a movie star in this film. He's a matinee idol, in my opinion. <laughs> he's, um, <laughs> but he's like a, he's a level above character actor, mm. you know, like he's exactly. a, a prestige He's a prestigious a prestige star. He's a freaking lead, dude. He is a lead. Uh, but, uh, I mean, Ray Winston is essentially a character actor, and he plays the yeah. lead in this film. Exactly. Any other movie, we'd be awarding him a character actor trophy, of course. That's true. If we were doing Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull this week, we'd be giving mm-hmm. the award to Ray Winston. And we'd be proudly bowing down to him and just going, you earned it, buddy. Look upon your world. You are a winner tonight. But unfortunately, we are not doing that. So we have to look deeper into the cast list. And uh, there's two names that jump out to me. I think that are both television actors primarily Mm. who uh, get to appear in films every now and then. And when they do, they generally light up the screen and are incredibly charismatic. Uh, the first person I would like to say is Ian McShane. Ian McShane, my God, more like Ian McFame. Yeah, he's this guy. well known and beloved. This guy is currently very well known and beloved, but he's had a long, long career. Uh, a long career in television in the UK. He was the titular character in the BBC series Lovejoy throughout the eighties mm-hmm. and the early nineties, and then he had a. A bit of a slow period there for about a decade where he kind of popped up in tiny roles in films like this one. And it was this film that got him recognised internationally and cast in what would now become his most defining role, which is the role of Al Swearingen in Deadwood. Um, A a total star-making performance in Deadwood. Mm -hmm. And now, of course, he's opposite Keanu Reeves in those goddamn John Wick films. And he, yes, he, played- he plays some kind of, I guess, hotelier in those films. Yeah, he plays someone who works in hospitality in those films. <laughs> 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 but he's great in everything, and he's all of his like charisma is on display in this in this film. I think he's. Face, I just love to watch yeah. his fucking face, man. He's got he's got one of those goddamn mugs that you just can't believe you get to look at. It's amazing. I, he is amazing. I love looking at his fucking face in this movie when he's <laughs> yeah. getting freaking fucked. I love it so much. I love that. That's a part of this movie. Um, it's it feels ballsy for a a British gangster film to have, mm. uh probably a pansexual or bisexual like lead and mm. or not lead but you know like main supporting character in this way who's a tough guy yeah i love that it's actually quite interesting because i think it in geezer flicks there is like this element of like the hard men having like this sexuality because there is like this real thing in like the 60s the cray twins one of them was bi at least or gay and one of them was straight mm. and they are played there's a few movies about them legend with tom hardy yeah. playing them both and there's one with like the spandau ballet guys <laughs> really? From like the 80s or 90s? I can't remember what it's called, but the Spandau Ballet guys <laughs> play uh, the Cray Twins. I think it's just called the Crays. And, I love Spandau um, Ballet, by the way. 
<laughs> me too, brother. Me too. They would be at home in Sexy Beasts. They totally would. But I think there's like that element that's in the geezer flicks where that's kind of like interpreted from real life and it kind mm. of simmers throughout so many of these movies. But this is like a very overt version of that and it's like, it's kind of see how it touches the entire um, the entire upper echelon of English uh, lifestyle with like yeah. these secret pansexual orgies that go on. Yeah, fuck. I can't believe we didn't even talk about that. There's a full eyes wide shut sequence in this movie. It's fucking great. But yeah, Ian McShane is amazing and I think he'll continue to be amazing in film and television mm-hmm. till the very end. The next award we would like to give out for character actor goes to Amanda Redman, who plays D.D. Dove, Gal's wife and former pornographic actress, a.k.a. Dirty D.D., God, she is so fucking good in this movie. It's such a sick performance. And I think her and Ray Winston have, like, this really believable, loving relationship that is just hounded from the outside. Yeah, I just love it. It's so believable. It's so romantic, the Mm. two of them. uh, There's a moment in this movie, and it's kind of almost a bit of silent acting from Amanda, where Don Logan is, like, loudly talking about uh, how Gal could do better than her. Mm. He's kind of going like, I can't believe you settled for Dirty Dee. You you could have had any woman in the world. You were a hunk and you got her. She's disgusting, blah, blah, blah. And he's talking about how she used to make pornos and a bunch of guys in London still all jack off to her pornos together and shit like that. And throughout that monologue, it cuts back to Amanda Redman in bed overhearing it just kind of silently reacting with like you can just see heartbreak on her face and in her eyes and it's like magical honestly she's Hmm. she's incredible she i mean she'd had a big career in television before this and would continue and afterwards to continue to have a huge career in television and theater but she's like um she's amazing and yeah anytime she pops up in something i'm always pretty stoked yeah, around this time, she was in that big show At Home with the Braithwaites, which was a very, like, interesting kind of comedy drama from England. And then she was in this series that I remember watching quite a bit called New Tricks, which is, like, all these old, like, kind of coppers um, that she is the oh, leader yeah. of. yeah, New Tricks. Fuck, I forgot yeah. about that. But she's, like, the lead in so many, like, English shows because they're all, like, fucking six to nine episodes in total. Totally. So, she's got, like, 15 of them that are all, like, quite well-known, like, the adaptation of Little Dorrit and stuff like that. She's, I think, a real great TV star, and it's fantastic that she's got, like, this great meaty movie role as well. Totally. Now, we've got to give another award out. We like to give special categories on this uh, goddamn podcast, and um, this one, I think, is... It's rare to... It's a rare award. I don't think we've ever given this this type of award out before, but we. it's definitely come up a few times mm. on this podcast. And uh, that is the Memorial Donnie Darko Award for Surrealist Nightmare Rabbit. <laughs> it's so interesting, right? That the, uh, the image of a rabbit or someone in a rabbit suit has mm. become this kind of go-to image for surrealism as interpreted by cinema. Because you've got it here where they hunt rabbits in the start of this movie. And then there's, like, they're haunted by the image of this, like, seven-foot-tall, creepy, furry bunny. And then that's also similar to Donnie Darko with Frank the Rabbit. And then you've got freaking Harvey back in the 1950s being um, Jimmy Stewart's best buddy. And then also, you know, I guess it comes from, like, Lewis Carroll with the freaking yeah, Alice in be. Wonderland, the white rabbit going down That's your own That's got to be sanity. the beginning of it, right? I can't, unless maybe it's just tied to the fact that magicians have always used rabbits mm, as oh, a yes. kind of disappearing thing. So maybe maybe it goes back to that, like the idea of the, the rabbit as a mysterious um, enigmatic animal that can disappear and is tied into this idea of like magic and sort of surrealism, but it's um yeah. it's you know it's good. They look good. They got big ears. They're kind of mm. fun. 
Like, I works. like this one more than Frank. It's so fucking weird. Yeah, this one's crazy. It has an Uzi. <laughs> it shoots. <laughs> it shoots Gal with an Uzi, and the movie ends with an image of it. You know, like a. I love the ending of this movie too. Like the the gang, the four friends are all back together. They're in total happiness. Enrique, the pool boy, is um alive and well and reclining by the pool with his pseudo mm. family. And then the oh, camera thank goodness kind of, we asked her to read this question of, and what of Enrique the pool boy? <laughs> He's doing all right. And then the camera kind of dives down into the pool underneath the new tile job to reveal that um, Don Logan's body is buried underneath the pool. But in the afterlife, he's being attacked by that giant bunny man who's kicking his coffin open. And I kind of love that, that it's like it ends on a moment of pure nightmare surrealism of this giant rabbit kicking the coffin of Don Logan. And Don Logan inside his coffin is just smoking a cigarette and looking annoyed by it. Mm. (laughs) He's not even scared or anything. It's like in the afterlife, Don Logan's just annoyed. Yeah, well, that's him. That's his default setting. He probably feels at peace to be annoyed for the rest of his years. Yeah, so congratulations to Jonathan Glazer and the writers of this film for using a big old bunny rabbit and yeah. uh, keeping the flame alive for Donnie Darko's everywhere. Congratulations to all rabbits. We hope you have a great career in surrealist cinema from henceforth. We usually get into our total reboot section here. And there's something interesting that I found out while watching this movie, while researching this movie. Did you Mm -hmm. know that currently in development, there is a TV series prequel to Sexy Beast? A prequel television series based on the film was in development at Paramount Network, which is being produced by Paramount Television Studios and Anonymous Content. However, the series was scrapped by Paramount, but on February 15, 2022, Viacom CBS Networks UK and Australia announced that the series was revived for Paramount+. Plus but Mm. will instead be produced by Chapter 1 and Paramount International Networks. I remember reading about that like three or four years ago that there was a Sexy Beast series coming. I didn't realize it was prequel. Uh, You know what? I don't want it. (laughs) Because what's a prequel series? It's just any old crime story at this point. It's just Gal is a criminal and he's trying to get out, right? That's like almost every crime film and story ever. And then you, I don't, don't want to know that. more about Don fucking Logan. He's perfect the way no. he is. And this whole movie is about uncaging the beast. It's about the retirement. It's about the one last job. I don't want to see the first 15 jobs or whatever. It doesn't interest no. me whatso- whatsoever. Unless there was a real cool way to spin it, like they do the first job or something, like Gal getting sucked into the world and we yeah. know that it's going to... And we skip the whole middle chapter, you know? Yeah. I got to do one first job. Yeah. You're trying to tell me that I have to do one first job? <laughs> Unless they do it like um, Wet Hot American Summer where they use the exact same cast, but yeah. they're playing younger. <laughs> they're playing okay, 10 years like. younger. <laughs> That's how you do it, I reckon. Well, it's Ray Winston now, however old mm-hmm. he is now, and he's like, I'm fucking 23, innit? <laughs> <laughs> I'm 23. It's like the many states of Newark goes, Oi, DD. Why don't you get off that freaking porno set and come hang out with me? You know, I'll be <laughs> Come fun. be my girlfriend. And Don Logan's got hair and stuff. And like, yeah, if they <laughs> do it like- front. Yeah, if they, get, <laughs> if they get David Wayne and Michael Showalter to direct mm-hmm. it and write it, then yeah, okay, I'll watch. But yeah, I'll subscribe to Paramount Plus. You've got yeah, me. To Paramount Plus. <laughs> but yeah, no, I don't think I need that. You know what I mean? This is no, what it no, is. No, this no. exists as as its own thing, and uh, it doesn't need any further development. Because uh, I remember reading, like, everyone always wants to make sequels or prequels to things. Nowadays, it's become a bit of a trend to do, like, the 20 years later sequel. Mm. Um, they very rarely are good, you know? Like, I think T2 Trainspotting was as good as it could have been, and mm-hmm. I don't know if anything else can really touch touch like the original i don't think anything can come close so what's the point this movie's interesting because of its unique screenplay it's Mm. got a unique director it's got an interesting cast i don't know what you could do because the characters are interesting but they're more interesting because of who inhabits them in this movie yeah totally 
I could see this so becoming, you know, tragically very, very mundane. Mm. Like, it was some bullshit gangster show that I don't watch. Like, fucking, no offense to your listeners. I know this is a popular show and a lot of people like it. But it could be, like, Peaky Frickin' Blinders. <laughs> yeah, I've never watched that either, but everyone says it's good. I feel like that's something I'll We'd eventually watch. We'd probably love watch. it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you probably would love it. Yeah, probably. I'd probably get the same haircut as Silly and Murphy in that fucking movie. Yeah. I'm going to start wearing a pork pie hat running around town. <laughs> <laughs> well... Shall we wrap things up? Let's do it, baby. Thank you for joining us on the podcast as we dive into the heist films. This was an interesting look back at that one last job trope as it is deconstructed and devoured like nobody else by the big old boy, Ray Winston. Uh, Next week on the podcast, we're continuing the heist miniseries with one of our guys, our favorite journeyman director and his foray into the heist film. We're talking about a little guy called F. Gary Gray and his movie Set It Off starring Jada Pinkett Smith and Queen Latifah with Vivica A. Fox as well great movie I only discovered it myself last year and I've been dying to find a way to talk about it yeah I still haven't watched it but I remember when you first watched it you texted me afterwards and said you got to check this movie out it'll be right up your alley I still haven't gotten around to it so I'm excited I have an excuse now I love Vivica Mm -hmm. Big yes. Vivica fan over here. And you love F. Gary. He's your favourite filmmaker. F. Gary Gray? I hardly know Gary Gray. In fact, you actually know him quite well. You've yeah, seen almost seen every movie he's pretty much every made. movie he's done. So you are willing to F the guy. <laughs> well, I'll Admit give him it. an F. I'll give him an F. <laughs> Uh, so that's next week on the show in the meantime check out our new release reviews episodes me and Kate Jinxus did Petite Maman great movie and of course listen back to our dog day afternoon our first entry into classic heist films on this podcast Cameron you have got a couple of shows left at Sydney Comedy Festival this weekend right yes if you are in Sydney I am uh, performing this weekend at the Sydney Comedy Festival for the Saturday and the Sunday, the 14th and 15th of May. Um, but if you're in Brisbane, guess what? I'm in your city next week from the 18th to the 22nd of May doing my show at the Brisbane Comedy Festival at the Powerhouse. And uh, the week after that, I'll be in Newcastle on the 27th doing one show only. And I think that's it for the next little while. I'm going to try and do... A few people have been messaging me. um, I'm going to try and do Adelaide later in the year. And I think I'll eventually do some more versions of it in Melbourne again at some point. Um, But um, for the people that didn't get to see it. But... That's it. But I'm excited for Sydney, Brisbane and Newcastle in the next couple of weeks. So come along. I will be there. I promise you. Come along to all of them, Alexi. I will come. I would love to come to all of them. And I would also just say this. This is a little PSA from Cam and I. Mm. We know the Pentaverate is out. Yes. We know Mike Myers has a new TV show, something we've been praying for for 14 years of African lives, mm. a Mike-led project. Mm-hmm. And we have been watching it, savoring it. I didn't want to rush through I've it. I've finished it. I've got one ep to go. I, ru- I will you know? admit I rushed through it. But I... um. Was really, really enjoying every single second of it. That's why I couldn't mm. stop. You couldn't stop. Mm. Once you popped, you couldn't stop. So Much we, like the Pringles theory of watching TV shows. You've got shows. one episode left. Are we going to do... Should we talk about it on this show at some point? I think we will have to resurrect a former micronation known as the Mike Czech Republic because <laughs> it's the first time the economy has been booming there for quite some time. 14 years. <laughs> the first time we've had an economic growth in the Mike Czech Republic <laughs> in quite some time. Yeah. So we will be talking about the Pentaverates soon. Okay? It's going to happen. Yeah. Just... I'm getting a lot of messages of people going, hey, do you know there's a Mike Myers show? And I just keep going, oh, what, what are you talking about? Yeah, there's a new Mike Myers show. I'm like, come on, you can't be serious. No, there's not. <laughs> there can't be. No, the guy's been in retirement for 14 years. You're telling me he's come out of retirement? For one last job? <laughs> and this is how I found out, some random DM. <laughs> yeah, we've known about the Pentaverate since, for years actually, since, you know, before it even went into production. Very excited by it. I, uh, as I've said, I've watched it all. I think, yeah, I re- I had an amazing time watching it. I'd love to talk mm-hmm. about it soon. We're just a bit busy at the moment, but um, 
we'll get around to it. We've got um, yes. we've got you know our Finding Yeezus project that we're working mm-hmm. on at the moment. I think after Finding Yeezus, maybe we should do something with it. Mm, we should savor it. That's it. Yeah. That's my yeah. thing. I don't want to rush out declare you know that you know the mike Czech republic is one of the richest nations in the world <laughs> i we got to save it we got to you know it's very 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 rarely do these things come through but 2022 it's a big year for mike he's got a david o'russell picture with robert de niro coming out as well this year can't fucking believe it oh man that's so exciting good on him my god we might be able to let people have more than three children in these in these parts <laughs> these days <laughs> Um, All right, what, that is it for us, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, subscribe yeah, to our Patreon, Patreon if you want more. Fucking hell, F- all that five stuff. bucks a month. <laughs> patreoncom slash reboot. Uh, you get extra mm-hmm. podcasts. You get extra access mm-hmm. to a special secret group on Facebook, and also uh, you get Alexi and I coming around to your house every now and then. We go through your DVD collection. Yeah, we, we rate your DVD collection. We rate your DVDs <laughs> from one to ten. <laughs> And also, we've had some great episodes in there recently. We did a What Have You Watched very regularly, which has been so fun, where we talked about the Ghostbusters Afterlife movie, which I will promise you I'll never, ever watch in my life. (laughs) And we also did a couple of extra runs on the Millennium Mindfuck saga over there with the 13th floor in Simone. Um, So there's always some fun shit in the Patreon. Yeah. Uh, in the meantime, please sit back, relax, oil up your bodies with some sort of like sheen, shiny coconut oil or extra virgin mm-hmm. olive oil. And bake. I reckon it's Evo. I reckon yeah. he's using Evo. Yeah, man, dude. Spray yourself down with some Pam, and then uh, <laughs> absolutely roast yourself silly in the sun. And don't forget to get a freaking ice cold satchel to put on your own little satchel, brother. Mm-hmm.